0: Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is a show that we wish we had a decade ago. Now this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. So make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here, as well as getting some killer free stuff by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, check out the toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, even relationship management and breakups. That stuff is all obviously extremely important to your success, so make sure you get a handle on that as well. We've also got our boot camps and our live training running every single week here in Hollywood, California. Details on that at theartofcharm.com. Or just give us a call or even email me, Jordan H. at The Art of Charm, and I'll tell you exactly what you need to know to get started with that. I'm looking forward to meeting all you guys here at The Art of Charm. Today we're talking with Julian Treasure, an expert on speaking, soundscaping, and conscious listening. So here's a Jordan Harbinger primer on poor listening skills and bad manners on this one. We're gonna talk about how sound changes our reality, the four ways that sound affects us all, and how each of us has a sense that's top dog. We're also going to talk about what conscious listening is and why it matters, practical habits to improve our conscious listening skills, and what values we can focus on to become powerful speakers, especially those to whom people want to listen. So enjoy this one where I'm actually a bit quiet and all of my jokes fall flat with Julian Treasure. Today I'm speaking with Julian Treasure, Interesting last name, by the way. And I assume that's your real last name, or did you pick, like, a cool stage name?
1: Uh, No, nothing so creative. That's my real name. It comes from Somerset in southwest England.
0: I'm always fascinated when people have, like, names that are just English words. In America, we're so used to things that are from foreign languages or just butchered on Ellis Island and spelled funky or or Polish, and nobody can say it and those kind of things.
1: Well, it's a lovely name, except at school, of course, I used to get teachers saying, and are you?
0: That... Gets old after kindergarten, probably, when Uh, you start getting beat up for it. (laughs) Gets old the second time, yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you do, because I was instantly fascinated when I found out myself, and I'll let you put it in your own words, because otherwise it'll be just like me butchering your name, only with your bio.
1: It's really hard to describe what I do, actually. Sometimes I say I'm a sound consultant. Sometimes I say I'm a sound architect, A consultant is closer to the mark, but then people always think I'm an acoustician or I'm an audio engineer or something like that. For about 11 years now, I've been running a company called The Sound Agency, and we ask the question, how does your brand sound? So we work with major brands around the world, helping them to make sound that's appropriate and effective, not just random noise.
0: I was going to ask, are you talking about brand sounds Like, do you mean like the Intel little jingle at the end where everybody goes, oh, that sound is the Intel sound or, you know, that you hum the always Coca-Cola thing and people are like, I'm thirsty. Are you talking about that kind of sound? Literal sound? Yeah, that's part of
1: it, Jordan. There there are eight ways that brands express themselves in sound that we've identified over the years and a Sonic logo, which is the Intel thing. That's one of them. Uh, Brand music like Coca-Cola's tunes. That's another one. But there are other really important ones that most brands never think about, like brand voice. Like if you speak to a brand, think of your utility, your credit card. Generally, you speak to those people, uh, but there's no consistency in the conversation. So it's how does the brand actually get expressed in voice? The soundscapes have become our speciality over the years, and that is the sound of spaces, like retail spaces, shops, shopping malls, showrooms, office spaces, the reception area, of course, and then even the working spaces, toilets. You know, every space has a sound, and most of these sounds are are not designed.
0: That's 100% true. Uh, And you go to Japan, which I'm sure you've been there, and you go, why is there a little fountain with music on top of the loo? Yeah, well,
1: there's a device in Japan called the Toilet Princess, which has sold hundreds of thousands of copies and Japanese ladies carry it in their handbags and turn it on when they go to the into the cubicle, and it makes the sound of running water to cover up their embarrassment. So, you know, sound. A lot of people are affected by sound, but most people are not conscious of those effects. And so, what we're working with with the brands is helping them to become conscious of the sound they're making. Now, that's kind of flipped into my private work, my personal work with individuals, where it's very much about us as individuals taking responsibility for the sound we're making, the sound we're consuming, and the sound we surround ourselves with. And that all has massive effects on our health, on our productivity, and on our relationships.
0: That's so interesting, because it's something that passes through sound, and I think maybe smell, and they sort of pass through, as long as it's not language, our logical faculties in our brain. And and tell me if I'm just talking bro science, but It sounds like when we hear things that are soothing, and even when mothers shush babies, it just kind of goes past the part of your brain that has to think about things and causes an emotion. Yeah, that's
1: absolutely right. Uh, Sound is our primary warning sense. It goes very deep, very fast. It's far easier to upset people through their ears than it is through their eyes. Like if a twig snaps behind you in a forest, you will spin around. It's completely instinctive. So your ears are working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They work while you sleep. You know, if there's a strange noise in your house, you will wake up at night. The sound is hearing is the first sense we develop in the womb just 12 weeks after conception. We're hearing not with ears because we don't have ears at that point. We're hearing with our whole body, with our skin, with our bone, with our muscles. And that you are doing right now, even though you're not conscious of it. The ears are the master's. Well, we'll come on to listening a little bit later on. I was just going to say the hearing is an amazing sense. We hear uh, 10 octaves if we have perfect hearing. We see just one octave. The visible light spectrum is one octave. Vision is a cone in front of you. You have eyelids. You can close. Hearing is a sphere all around you, and you have no earlids. I don't know if you've noticed that. So your ears are always on. And this sound that goes in, it's, it's a very intimate sense. It's actually touching you inside your head, and it affects you in four very powerful and significant ways. So if I may, I'll just explain those four ways. To, yeah,
0: because it sort of brings to mind, you know, it's it's 10 a.m. here in the United States. I woke up a few hours ago. Am I hearing even when I'm asleep? Because that would make sense, right? It's just not going into my conscious brain, but all that stuff, I'm actually hearing all that stuff.
1: You are, yeah, and there's a, a fundamental difference between hearing and listening, which I think if we can circle back to that one, that's really yeah. important for relationships uh, above all else. Uh, But the four-way sound effects all of us are physiologically, so sound around you will change your heart rate, your breathing, your hormone secretions, even your brain waves. So if I drop you in a nightclub with pounding dance music at, you know, 110 decibels at 140 beats per minute, your heart rate will elevate immediately. And it'll do the same if there's a sudden noise behind you, because we're always listening for threats. Or to take it round the other way gentle surf that's a calming sound that normally would reduce the heart rate and the breathing so that's the first way physiologically second way psychologically you know i bet you have a favorite tune you'd put on if you're feeling a little down you can put something on to g you up in the morning sure or, yeah uh, yeah or or if you want to relax there's some music you can put on for that so we're very familiar with the way that music affects our feelings either to amplify them or to counteract them Uh, It's not the only sound that does that. We use birdsong a great deal at the sound agency because over hundreds of thousands of years, we've all discovered that when the birds are singing, we're usually safe. So for most people, birdsong creates a feeling of security and ease and comfort. It's only if the birds suddenly stop singing that there's going to be a problem. So that's the second way sound effects us. So you've got physiologically, psychologically, the third one is cognitively. And again, mm. this is intuitive for most people. You know that if somebody is across the desk talking about their great night out in a loud voice and you're trying to write a report or something, you know, your natural instinct is, will you shut up? I'm trying to work. Here. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. we have bandwidth for just 1.6 human conversations. Even a woman cannot understand two people talking at the same time. True. So oh, wow. 1.6 is our bandwidth. And that means that if somebody's doing that talking across the desk, they're taking out one of your 1.6 and you're left with a very diminished bandwidth in your mind to listen to that voice inside that you need to listen to when you're working. It reduces your productivity in open plan offices when that's happening by two thirds.
0: Whoa. Two thirds. So it's it, depending on your cost of rent, it's actually possibly anyway more worthwhile to have your employees in sound isolated areas, even though it's more expensive than listening to the sales department try and sell printer ink over the phone while you're trying to do the accounting for the same company.
1: Absolutely. You can get roughly three times as many people into an open plan office, and if they're all working at one-third productivity, there's a kind of constant going on there. Yeah, I agree with you. I think offices really need to start designing different acoustic environments for different types of working. So, you know, collaborative working, fine, go open plan. I'm not against open plan at all. Just for that kind of working, it works. But where you need to concentrate, you need more like a library where people can go, and the rule is shh, no talking here. Right. Or you might right. want to uh, color. You might want to have social space where, again, it's a different vibe, and you'd want some background sound, and it's more of a coffee sort of serendipity space. So there are different types of working, different types of sound you need in each of them. I get, I get very passionate about this, as you can tell. No worries. The, the fourth way sound affects us is behaviorally, and this is the most important one for. Often for relationships, it's certainly the most important one for our clients in retail because most of them, they're making terrible sound in retail spaces. They haven't thought about it. They spend millions on designing these spaces to look fantastic. And then they have a really bad sound system. I nearly said a a stronger description of that, but I mean, I'm talking a really bad sound system Mm -hmm. and they're playing moronic, fast-paced, generic pop music through it. The effect of that actually is to speed us up, because you remember I said sound changes our physiology. You play fast-paced music, you speed people up, they leave the shop faster, they spend less money, and the retailer is losing trade. It's just not sensible. So if we're in noise, we like to move away from it and and go somewhere that's more pleasant. We probably won't clock it, we probably won't notice that that's what we're doing, but that is what we do.
0: That's really interesting, and for me it's like, It kind of makes sense because now I thought I was just maybe a little bit sensitive about it, but when I can't hear someone that clearly, or when I go to a restaurant and the acoustics are bad, I don't want to go back there anymore because I can't even enjoy my food or the conversation if I'm straining to listen or if there's just like loud Cantonese coming out of the kitchen and pots and pans. And usually it shouldn't matter. I just thought, gosh, you know, I'm so anal about the type of restaurant that I go to. Maybe it's just because I work on the radio all day and I'm sensitive to noise, but I can't focus. And I used to get in trouble a lot in kindergarten because other kids would be talking across the room and I'd be looking at them and the teacher would be like, Jordan, pay attention to your, you know, stupid underlining or your coloring or whatever. And I had to take kindergarten twice because I remember my friend was playing a trumpet during one of the exam things that we had kindergarten exam. I don't know what that would be like, but he was playing a trumpet outside. And I was like, what's that noise out there? And I went up to the window, and I was looking, at, and they're like, oh, he's too easily distracted. And the thing is, I'm still like that. You know, if I hear ticking, mm. if there's a watch ticking in a room where I'm trying to sleep, I will spend an hour trying to find that unless I can sort of get zen with it and figure it out, which is bad news for sleeping in places like youth hostels and things like that. I usually have to kind of have three or four beers to make that work out for me, but it makes sense that these noises are all affecting other people as well and that I'm not just a special snowflake that has bad attention deficit disorder. And in the office space example, it makes great sense, too, that people would say, oh, well, we'll just hire three times as many employees. But then once you figure in the cost of benefits and things like that, as well as just the inefficiency of managing three times as many people who are less productive, uh, it doesn't make sense at the end of the day unless your goal is to employ as many people as you can.
1: Exactly. Well, the thing about all of this, Jordan, is that it's about unconsciousness. So actually, my whole conversation about sound is a conversation about consciousness, about awareness. So you get companies just doing open plan everywhere. This is a thing called Taylorism that goes back to the early 20th century of rigid rows or lots and lots of people at the same desks doing the same things. And it's wrong. There's loads of scientific evidence that shows now this is not a productive way to treat people like battery chickens. They don't like it. They're not happy. They are less well in work. It's a really big well-being issue now. And they're less productive. So you get a miserable, ill, and unproductive workforce out of that scenario. But people keep doing it because they're unconscious of the effects of sound. It sounds like you're very auditory. I reckon probably about a quarter of the the world's population are very auditory. We all have a different sense that's like the leader of the pack. And for me, absolutely, the ears. For a lot of people, it's the eyes. Some people, it's touch. Some people would be smell, far less, I would think. And some people taste. Uh, but the ears, are, you know, there's a substantial number of people who get very affected by the sound around them. And so what I'm really about is raising people's consciousness of sound and the fact it affects us and the fact that we actually have a relationship with it, which we call listening, where we play an active role. And that drives absolutely enormous amounts of events and and trends in our relationships with people some of your listeners may have come across this one i mean what's women's biggest complaint in any relationship with men he doesn't listen
0: right he doesn't listen yeah
1: he doesn't listen listening is a skill it's not something that's natural and for some reason we don't teach it in schools you know think about it we've got four ways of communicating reading writing speaking and listening in school we obsess about reading and writing. We teach those endlessly. We test on them. It's a failure of the education system is turning out people who can't read and write. We don't teach speaking. And we have this amazing vocal toolbox. And I, you know, I can talk for ages about that as well. My newest TED Talk is all about powerful speaking. Uh, and it goes through these things. And we don't teach listening. We don't teach conscious listening skills to kids. We expect them just to pick it up from somewhere. So two of the four... I would say the most important too in day-to-day use, we just expect people to pick up. And this is crazy.
0: I always have trouble actually hearing my girlfriend, and I, I blame her sort of high-pitched voice. Can you validate or invalidate that? I can never hear what she's saying. And she gets so frustrated. And it's not but, that I'm not paying attention. I just can't hear what the heck she's saying most of the time.
1: Okay, well, I doubt you're in this class, but there is a thing called stress-induced auditory dysfunction. My father had that because in the last years of his life, my mother was typically not very nice to him. She was always nagging him or criticizing him. And he literally went deaf at the frequency of her voice. He became unable to hear her. And that is something which plays out in industrial scenarios where people are surrounded by one type of noise the whole time. I wouldn't have thought that's what you're suffering from with your <laughs> girlfriend. I would certainly hope not.
0: Although I um, can't wait until she hears this, just as a side note. <laughs> yeah, yes. well, well, you can get treatment for SIAD
1: if that's what it is. And uh, maybe there's hope, there's light at the end of the tunnel there. Probably more to the point is the background you're in or it's the way that you're listening to. I mean, you, it might be worth getting your hearing tested. It might be that one ear is working well, the other one not so well. It might be that you have some sort of a deficiency at the frequency of her voice. None of us have got flat hearing we've all got more sensitive bits and less sensitive bits and there are treatments that you can investigate if you are uh, particularly insensitive at that frequency because it would be pretty inconvenient if you're with somebody all the time and you happen to have a dead spot and you're hearing right there probably it's more about the way that you're paying attention and as i said a huge amount of this conversation really is about consciousness the way that people listen these days is but with our, our fast edit, multi-track, multi-input world, we really are in danger of losing our ability to listen. And uh, let me give you a definition of listening, first of all, because it's different from hearing, right? I mean, hearing, you have sound physically touches you inside your head. It vibrates your eardrum, and then your ears do this amazing work of turning just one vibration into all of the sounds that we perceive, which is done through a chemical and an electrical process, and that's hearing. Now, listening is really about abstraction. So I define listening as making meaning from sound. Making meaning from sound. The sound is all around us. We don't listen to all of it. We can't. It's just like we've got so many sensory inputs all the time, we ignore most of them, otherwise we'd go crazy. And it's the same with sound. So the question is, what do you pay attention to and what do you make it mean well this is how we interpret the world you know the whole world goes on inside our heads it's perception Uh, so we're dealing with the map not the territory right And, and it's up to us how we perceive now that is an active process and it's really exciting once you start to realize that listening is making meaning from sound it's something i am doing because then we can step on and say what's conscious listening Well, conscious listening is consciously making meaning from sound.
0: Right, like intentionally taking meaning from that. If we're always getting input, our brain is subconsciously filtering things in and out, right? And so if we can start to consciously filter things in and then create meaning from that, how does that process work and how do we improve it? Or or actually, what does it do, first of all, and then how do we make it better?
1: What it does is filter what we are paying attention to. So in the first place, it's a question of the actual items that we're paying attention to. And then we have a relationship with those items, which allows us to ascribe meaning. So for example, all of us have a set of filters. Not many people think about the fact that listening is not the same in everybody. In fact, it's a grave mistake to assume that everybody listens like I do. They really don't. Everybody's listening is as unique as their fingerprints, their voice print, or their irises. So, your listening is totally unique and different to mine. That's because we all listen through a set of filters. And these filters develop over our lives. It starts with our culture that we're born into, the language that we speak. When these things affect us and the way we listen, there are some languages on this planet, for example, where there's no concept of time in the language. You can't say tomorrow or yesterday. Well, they listen in a pretty different way to the way I listen. Then we've got attitudes, values, beliefs, the things that we assimilate along the way when we take them from role models, from our parents, our teachers, our friends, people we respect, and we start to gather this set of attitudes, values, beliefs, which drive the way that we listen to people. And it may well be that if we are listening to somebody with whom we fundamentally disagree, we dismiss them. We don't hear what they're saying, even if they might have just said something quite interesting. And then situationally, we have intentions and expectations. So if I'm going into any con- this conversation, for example, you and I have come in here with probably some intentions and probably some expectations. And those also color the way that we listen. It's like a big funnel. And what you get down at the bottom of that funnel is your perceived reality. Now, where it gets exciting is if you start to play with those filters as control surfaces, instead of just having them unconscious, you start to say, oh, okay, I'm now conscious of the fact that I'm listening through these things and I can change that listening at any time.
0: Interesting. So how do we start to actually change that? How do we start to be intentional with this? Well, in
1: my TED Talk about conscious listening, I suggested five easy exercises to improve conscious listening. And the fourth of them was the most powerful one for this conversation. And it's called listening positions. Now I'm not talking here about physical positions. It's a metaphor. So imagine that you're looking at a house on a hill. If you don't like the way the house looks, you can always walk around the hill and see if it looks better from the other side. Now it's a bit like that when I'm talking about listening positions. Mm -hmm. Most people listen from inside a concrete bunker that they created many, many years ago. And that bunker may even just have a little slit they're listening through, such is the power of these filters. Uh, And there's so much stuff that they're just not allowing through. And most people have never thought of the fact they can actually walk out the back door of that bunker and take a stroll and listen from somebody somewhere else entirely. So let me give you some examples of listening positions which will illustrate the way this plays out you could take for example critical listening now that's pretty much what you and i imagine most of the people listening to this have been doing since we started talking it's assessing it's validating it's judging it's saying well that's interesting i didn't know that but where do you get that from that's ridiculous i don't agree with that so critical listening is kind of a default position for a lot of people especially in business it's not always the best position to be in and if we get stuck in critical listening it can make us people who are pretty hard to talk to about emotional or spiritual subjects for example i mean if somebody comes to you an employee comes to you and asks for time off for for bereavement you don't want to be sitting there marking them on how well they're doing this
0: yeah right
1: that's the kind of critical mindset you want to be more in empathetic listening which is where you go onto their island you feel their feelings you leave them feeling not just heard but understood at the end of the conversation that incidentally is a position which men tend to find a little bit more difficult to be in than women and talking about men and women i mean this is a very powerful gender stereotype i i'm conscious it's a stereotype but there's a lot of truth in it so Your ears back, guys, because this is a very, very important one in terms of listening to women. Men tend to listen from a position that I call reductive. That is to say, we listen for a point, a solution. So, men love the conversation where it goes, Here's the problem. Well, here's the solution. Oh, thanks. Right. You know, that's a typical male conversation, three steps. So, we'd talk about the football, we'd talk about cars, we'd talk about routes from A to B. And we love all that stuff. There's always a point. Women, however, tend to listen in a way that I call expansive. And what I mean by that is that there is no point. In a lot of female conversation, it's not about a destination. It's not about solving a problem. It's just about being there with the person and experiencing the journey with them and having fun and seeing where it goes. That's a very different way of talking. So, if you get those two crossed over, you'll get a conversation that goes like this She comes home and she says, I've had this awful day. This happened, this happened, this happened. I feel terrible. He looks up from watching the football game and says, Have a bath. You'll feel much better. Now, in the male world, that's
0: problem solved. Right to the football. Brush your hands off, go back to the game. Exactly. By football, you mean soccer. But yes. Well, I (laughs) could mean American football. I don't
1: mind which which variety of football (laughs) you're watching. In the female world, that was not what she was looking for. She was looking for something much more like, oh, you poor thing, sit down, let me get you a glass of wine, tell me all about it.
0: Right, now you're in trouble for trying to help.
1: Yeah, because uh, the male way of helping is not necessarily in tune with the female way. It's a different listening. And if we get conscious of reductive expansive, it's very powerful for men to consciously move to expansive listening from time to time. You know, you have to practice this. And it's not the most natural thing in the world. But to be that man who says, you poor thing, sit down, let me get you a glass of wine or a cup of tea. Tell me all about it. And just look at her in the eyes and listen properly. And by that, I mean, for the time you're listening, she is the most important thing in the whole world. It's not the phone. It's not the TV. It's not thinking about what you've got to do at work tomorrow. It's full 100% attention Any man who's a good listener in that way is going to be a man that women love being around.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, here's a real-life example in case anybody out there is curious. Jenny, my girlfriend, comes home. I don't have enough time to study. I'm really stressed out. Work sucks. This is awful. And I'm not new to this concept. So, of course, I'm thinking, well, you know what? This is something she just wants to vent. So then she goes, aren't you going to say anything? And I'm thinking, crap, I was trying to think of the perfect thing to say. I need to have something on tap. So I said, you know what? It's all going to be fine. Let's just... Relax and you know, we'll we can block off some time. And as I'm saying this, I realize it's the absolute wrong thing to say. My gut is still not just as a man, but as a business owner. I'm gonna try and solve this. And I go, Let's set aside Saturday and we can go to the coffee shop and you can study. And she goes, I feel a little better, but I'm still agitated, I'm still on edge. And I'm just like, Oh man, so I'm looking around, I'm like, Well, she doesn't like scotch, I don't really know what to do. And I'm like, You know what? Let's let's take a shower, it'll be easier. And I'm just blowing it. Like, I'm still trying to solve the problem. And it's funny because you can be very aware of this concept. uh, And a lot of the guys who listen to the show are aware, you know, don't try and solve the problem. Just let her vent and, you know, be there for And it's still really hard because it's a habit. We're in the habit of figuring out how to solve these problems, especially if that's what we do all day at work.
1: Definitely. There's also, uh, I train on speaking as well as conscious listening, um, both in, in my physical seminars and in the, the work I've done on, on Udemy online, one of the four leeches, I call them, of speaking that rob you of power in your speaking is a thing called fixing, which is to say it's not okay for people to be in pain around you. So you need to make it better. And that again is something which men tend to fall into because we love to solve a problem. We are presented with a woman in pain. The first thing we want to do is say, Don't cry, don't be upset. Well, sometimes they need to cry, and they need to be upset, and they just want somebody to listen. And that can take a great deal of bravery, actually, sometimes to achieve.
0: Yeah, that can be really tough, and it's contrary to a lot of what we do just as as men, where we're like, oh, let's just be passive right now. I mean, it seems almost like it's contrary to our nature as humans, or as guys anyway, to do that. So how do we start to improve? Are there exercises we can do to improve our conscious listening skills? Aside from just, hey, remember not to try and solve the problem all the time. Yeah, well that certainly is
1: one. The, The listening positions is a great one to play with. And I do encourage any guys listening to this to start playing with that. There are millions of listening positions. You can make your own ones up. But start asking the question, where am I listening from all the time? And you'll find it tends to be one place and it's so much fun when you start to move from that place and listen from different places. In conversation, there's another exercise I recommended in that TED Talk, which I think is, um, well, a lot of people have told me it's been hugely useful. It's called RASA. RASA is the Sanskrit word for juice, uh, but in this context, it's a little mnemonic and it stands for receive, appreciate, summarize, ask. So in conversation... Receive means using body language to show that you're listening. This is obviously if you're face-to-face with somebody. So as I often say to my teenage children, uh, looking down at a phone in your hand and tapping away and saying, I am listening, is not. That's not listening. That's doing something else. And a bit of listening, you know, partial listening has become an epidemic. You know, watching TV and half listening, grunting at people, uh, listening to things, thinking about other things, playing with devices, Whatever it is, listening actually requires 100% attention, not all the time, but when it's important, it really does. So that means facing the person, you need to be face onto them, looking them in the eyes. You know, typical eye language when we're speaking is that the speaker looks away from time to time to think the listener does not break eye contact, but looks all the time at the speaker. So, and it's slightly leaning forward. If possible, if you're sitting down, lean forward, leaning back. Tends to indicate lack of interest, leaning forward tends to indicate interest and not doing other stuff. No jiggles, no uh, involuntary uh, movements, which are taking away from the fact that you're actually being there for this person. So that's receive. Appreciate, well, that's making little noises like, hmm, oh, really? Ah, I'm not so good at that on the telephone. You know, I'm, I do very often what you're doing with me right now, Jordan, which is I'm listening intently, but I'm absolutely silent. And people say, are you still there? Halfway through right. the call. Right, right. So it's, it, I mean, it, it, it helps. I mean, this is a, a, a different sort of conversation to a phone conversation, but it does help in physical and uh, telephone conversations to make those little noises just to show that you're engaged and you're, you're, you're with it. All right, so, no problem. Summarize. That's a really important one. The word so is incredibly powerful. If you are a so person in a, in a company, for example, you're very important because you can be halfway through a big meeting. You, you'll be the person who says, so what we've all agreed to is this. You bundle it all up, you put it aside, and now we can move on and talk about that. If you don't have a so person in a meeting, it can be a very, very long meeting. And it's the same in conversation you summarize from time to time so what you're saying is this or so uh, what would what would we do about that so the word so very powerful and then the a is ask questions all the way through questions at the end they show that you're engaged and that you're interested that's a really good way of remembering this the basic principles of conscious listening in a conversation and guys it really does work if you apply that when you're listening to women they will just from the R, ah, you know, you'll <laughs> you'll be making a big difference because they're used now to speaking to somebody who's barely paying them any attention at all.
0: Right, they're just not sure if you're even there, if you're even listening, the slightest bit, especially, and again, I can only really pull from my own experience, but when I talk to, to Jenny, if I'm just dead silent, doesn't matter if I'm listening, she's going to be like, hello. Because she just needs, even just that hint that I'm, especially given the the whole frequency thing Mm. that we just discussed, she needs to know that I'm actually paying attention and that she's not just wasting her breath. And Mm. she definitely wants to know whether or not I'm getting the key points out of what she's saying.
1: Well, you know, none of us are perfect, but if you show that you're making an effort to listen, it makes a huge difference. It's like when you're doing your driving test, you don't just look in the rearview mirror. You really make the instructor know that you just looked in the rearview mirror. Now, I'm not saying be as heavy handed as that, but if you actually make an effort, so when somebody starts talking, when your girlfriend starts talking to you, you put down the phone, you put down the tablet, you sit down, you face her and you start to pay attention and make those appreciated noises and summarize and ask. It will be a big change, honestly, uh, for a lot of guys. That's it. That, that will be a huge change from the way that we normally semi pay attention. So those are, those are good ones. Conscious listening. You can develop also with skills like just a, get a few minutes of silence every day. Really good for you. We're surrounded by noise all the time. And that's a big part of the reason why we've gone unconscious about sound and the way it affects us. We're so used to just suppressing it all the time. This noise of traffic or the noise of music or the noise of people or whatever it is around us, you know, wherever you are right now listening to this, look around you. Pretty much everything you see in the room you're in was designed by somebody. I can pretty much guarantee the sound of that room was not, unless you're in a professional recording studio or an auditorium of some kind. Most rooms just sound the way they sound. It's kind of like the exhaust gas of the engine. It's just the byproduct. Maybe there's air conditioning happening or some fans or some buzzes or noise coming in from outside. And it all has this massive effect on us. I mean, for example, did you know that kids in schools under flight paths are many months behind their peers in quieter places in their reading skills. That's been proved over and over again.
0: Oh, wow. That's kind of scary.
1: It really is scary, especially when you think that the acoustics in classrooms, and I mean, maybe there are people listening to this now who are at school or at university or college. The acoustics in our learning spaces are terrible. Nobody's thought about them. And there are huge numbers of kids going through education right now who simply cannot hear and they're losing vast amounts of their education. You know, we spend all our time thinking about sending the education. How good is the curriculum? How good are the teachers? We never ask, is it being received? Are the children, are the students able to hear it and able to listen to it for long periods? And it's usually the answer to that question is no.
0: Wow. I mean, these are things that people don't even address. I mean, it's, you know, especially in a city, a school is going to be located damn near a main road for the most part if not right on a main road there's tons of noises sirens everything and and my school growing up was all cinder block and windows mm. it was a mess you wouldn't have wanted to record anything in there i mean you couldn't even it, it was impossible to hear half the time and and now classrooms are even bigger i think so we and, start
1: off surrounded by noise we start off having to suppress it and we get into that habit from a very young age and as i said earlier we don't then teach children to listen we don't teach them to speak effectively you know we're really expecting people to develop this beautiful instrument we all have the human voice and to develop this amazing skill that we can use conscious listening in an environment which is absolutely pointing in the other direction everything around us is saying don't listen it's terrible start shouting start making your own noise you know and that's where a lot of people start to indulge in a practice we call in the uk sodcasting which is uh, careless pollution of other people's auditory spaces with my noise. That might be me playing loud music or much more commonly, uh, it's somebody in an airport walking up and down, talking really loudly on a plane or even worse in a bus or somewhere and just imposing themselves on all of the people in that space who really don't want to hear that conversation, but they have no choice.
0: Enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, that's uh, I like that sodcasting because it is so appropriate, and it's a pet peeve of mine that I try not to do, and also that I really try not to get overly excited about when it happens. I mean, I live in San Francisco, and I go back and forth between L.A. and travel to other cities, and it's almost impossible to be away from noise. My friends all thought I was crazy. I bought these in ear headphones. I had to go to the audiologist and. They like fit in your ear. They're custom molded to my ear, and they go. You're an idiot. You paid three hundred and fifty dollars for those. You're you're so dumb. But they completely seal up outside noise, and I can listen to quiet music. And so somebody can be yapping as loud as they want on an airplane in the seat right next to me, and I won't hear a thing. Very good. Very good. One of the best investments I've ever made. I'll tell you.
1: Definitely. There's two ways to go with headphones, and and incidentally, uh, for anybody who's listening to this, thinking about. Headphones. Uh, I would really, really recommend that you go for the highest quality headphones you can possibly afford because the better the quality, the quieter you can have them. Uh, if you have the cheapest headphones, um, you know we all know those white ones. We won't mention where they come from. If you have that kind of level of headphones, the temptation is always to turn it up and turn it up and turn it up to get the kind of the feeling you want, the intensity of the bass and the treble and so forth. So get good ones and. There are two types that are really good. The ones you're talking about, uh, they're noise isolating headphones. And I have uh, some silicon molded earplugs, actually, which I use. I'm a drummer. So uh, over the years, I damaged my hearing quite a lot before I knew about these things. And that's what will happen if you're repeatedly exposed to loud noise. You lose your hearing. I have tinnitus and I've lost all my hearing from about 12 kilohertz up, um, which is, you know, that's a substantial chunk of the top end. So now I protect my ears with these silicon-molded things that just make everything 15 decibels quieter. I can hear everything perfectly, just quieter. And they'd be similar to what you've got, uh, except yours are um, playing music into your ears. And you can have it nice and quiet because you're not hearing all the noise around you. The other approach is noise-cancelling. Um, those are headphones. They're, they're a, the, most of the big manufacturers make them now, I and mean Bose are famous for it, but most of the major manufacturers now make noise-cancelling headphones. I have a pair on as I speak to you. They will take out background sound that's constant, like the the noise of wind on an airplane fuselage or traffic noise. Anything that's constant and not changing, they'll just eliminate it altogether like magic. They won't change a fast-changing sound like a human voice or some sudden sound. They are pretty good if you're on a plane. They're, They're definitely gold dust.
0: Good to know. We can link some of that stuff up in the show notes as well. Now, sort of to transition from listening to speaking, and we won't dwell on speaking too much because it's a whole show or ten in itself. But what are some of the major bad habits that you see when people are speaking? Because I think a lot of people have. For me, it's when I speak on stage, I've got to slow down. Mm. I probably could do some of that on this show, but you know, I haven't had too many complaints about it. Where do these habits come from? How do we fix them? And what are they? It's a multi-part question for you. It's a big question. Um,
1: in the TED talk on. On powerful speaking, I, I listed seven deadly sins of speaking, and I won't go through all of those now, but they're, they're habits that uh, people tend to fall into. And I'm not saying never do these things. A lot of people think, uh, for example, one of them is complaining. Now, if you're somebody who complains inveterately, complains all the time, like I hate my, when people do that, some people get stuck in there. You know what of I mean? Course. yeah, Of, of course. course, from time to time, <laughs> it's important to complain. You know, if something is really not what we want, we need to go and tell somebody about it and put it right. So fine. I'm talking about people who complain all the time. You know, my mother got like that. um, And I said she was quite negative towards my dad. And she was negative generally at the end of her life. And, you know, I remember one day I said to to the paper, I said, oh, it's October the 1st today. And she said, I know, isn't it awful? You know, when you get to that level of negativity, like the world is awful and you complain about everything, you become somebody who's pretty hard to listen to. So the key with all of these seven seven deadly sins, whether it's complaining, whether it's negativity, whether it's exaggeration or judging uh, or gossip, um, that's a big one. Some people gossip the whole time. And uh, you know that the moment they're not talking to you, they're going to be gossiping about you. So they, again, become people that we don't particularly want to listen to. These things make us harder to listen to. I think in terms of the power of the vocal toolbox. I mean, that that's what you say. And, and you're really more talking about how you say it. Mm-hmm. It's like the old song. It is what you say and the way that you should say it. We have this amazing toolbox of things that we can do with our voice that most people, again, are very unconscious of simply because we don't get taught. And you mentioned pace, Jordan pace, very yes. important. Yes. And it's the key with all of this again, is to be conscious to be conscious of what we're doing, because if we become conscious, these all become tools that we can apply conscientiously to have specific effects. Great orators are always really conscious of everything they're doing. I try very hard when I go on stage, whether I'm talking to, you know, I like working in small groups in my seminars in London, they're 12 people at a time, or whether I'm talking to a room of thousands, which I've done um, plenty of times as well. I try really hard to be absolutely conscious of everything i'm doing because i think i owe it to people not to go unconscious in front of them so little ticks like moving you know unconscious movements like the walk of death some people walk round and round in a small circle where they're speaking that kind of thing is just distracting
0: yeah i definitely do that i have done that before and i realize i'm doing it and then i can't stop doing it because i'm nervous about doing it the worst
1: So consciousness is is a big part of this. And with the voice, I mean, if we forget stance and breathing and movement and all those things, because, I mean, that's all a big part of being on a stage. Just with the voice, it's really, really important to be conscious of intonation, prosody it's called, uh, the way that our voice rises and falls, because that is absolutely root one for emotional connection. It's how we put across so much of the emotional content of what we're saying, If I start speaking in a monotone and I don't give you any inflection at all, it's far less interesting to listen to, isn't it? I mean, it just is ridiculous. And that's why we call people monotonous. It's monotone, one tone going on the whole time. Prosody is is a wonderful thing to play Mm. with, and you can really explore that. I I think, for example, it's rather sad that there's a particular kind of prosody which has come into very common use. It came from Australia originally. It went uh, off to the valley near where you are. And then through the glories of the American television networks, it's kind of pervaded the world. My daughter is infected with it now. She's a 16 year old girl here in the UK and it's um, high rising terminal or questioning intonation. Oh, where yeah. I end every sentence as if it were a question, even when it's a statement. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad or evil. I'm just saying it's a shame to have one kind of prosody that repeats and repeats and repeats for two reasons, really. First, because it's a weak way of speaking it collapses it's it is it collapses a question there's an unspoken question in there all the time which is is that okay do you agree exactly exactly it's but it's not spoken it's done with the the intonation the other part of it though is that because it's just repetitive it robs us of the ability to do other things like be really definitive going down at the end of a sentence for example mm-hmm. And it means that uh, that our questions, when we do come across a question, they're rather less prominent and noticeable. So I just think whenever you get stuck in a particular way of speaking, some people do. uh, You know, you get this in voiceovers as well. You get what's called um, down talk as well. Um, Now, here, get it today. You know, that kind of thing. It's boring when somebody does it all the time.
0: Right, it's, it's cliche as well. People make fun of it because it's so overly demanding and dramatic.
1: Absolutely. So prosody is wonderful. Pace is one time. I get really, really excited and go really, really fast. Or I can slow right down for emphasis. And then there's register. Uh, most people don't think about where they're speaking from much of the time. But there are lots of registers we can use. Um, and most of the time, we're in what's called the modal register. I mean, you wouldn't use falsetto very much, I don't imagine. That's my falsetto <laughs> voice. And it's not particularly powerful if I speak in falsetto. It's like so, this Doubtfire, Exactly. So falsetto is where men go. They're impersonating women. And it's also where some women go in order to stay out of the dangerous male traffic lanes to make themselves less threatening. And there are voice coaches working with women to bring them down into their full power. That Margaret Thatcher, for example, had years of coaching to lower her voice because we know that we vote, this is true, this is, research has shown this, we vote for politicians with deeper voices. Really? Yeah, we associate depth of sound with size and weight and significance. Like an elephant has a deep voice. Uh, if you hear an elephant going, you know, mumbling away, not not the, the trumpeting they do, which is through, through their trunk, but if you actually hear their voice, it's deep. We establish uh, this relationship with sound where Deep is powerful. So if you have a politician who speaks up here and you have a politician who speaks down here, you know which one you're going to vote for pretty quickly. That's important. If you want to carry weight in your voice, you want to get your voice to move down. And even in the modal register, we can move from the nose. I'm speaking from the nose right now to the throat. I'm now speaking from the back of my throat. And as I move down into my chest, you'll start to hear a difference in the whole tone of my voice. James Earl Jones
0: for president. Yeah,
1: exactly. Wonderful, deep voice, Uh, resonant. And this isn't about any particular stereotype, although it is true to say that Africans or people of African origin have a much more natural ability to resonate in the chest. Uh, It's just the way they they speak. Uh, Whereas Hispanics tend to be much more in the throat or in the nose and Latins as well. I mean, I, I was married to an Italian for years and Italian women speak very much from the nose, from up here. So it's different in different cultures. But whatever culture we come from, we can become conscious of our own voice and we can start to play with moving it up and down as we wish. And as I say, if you want to have a serious conversation with somebody, maybe it's asking your boss for a raise, maybe it's asking your girl to marry you or asking your girl's dad for permission to marry you, uh, it's probably a good idea to work on getting that voice down to give yourself some authority and some power in that request.
0: And so how do we start to work on that? Just video or audio record ourselves and and work on it, or is coaching really the best way to do that? Yeah, well, both
1: of those two things are good, Jordan. Uh, Recording yourself is something most people don't like doing because we hear our own voice most of the time through bone conduction in the skull. And when you listen back to a recording of yourself, you don't have that bone conduction going on. So it sounds thinner somehow and higher. Uh, So yes, recording yourself is good. Try different things. Uh, Coaching is great. If you're concerned about, for example, your timbre, uh, you feel your voice is too thin or anything like that, go to a vocal coach, a singing coach or an acting coach, and they'll work with you on breathing and throat and posture and diaphragm and all those good things. So those can help. There are some very simple warm-ups, though, which I do before every speaking engagement, and I'll I'll share those with you. Um, There are a few simple ones that, uh, I mean, there's one fundamental, but I'll give you a couple. So it's good to warm up, first of all, uh, the lips, and we can do that simply by going as if we're freezing cold. That's a very good one for just getting your lips tingling. You can also go, but, 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 really emphasizing the but. And then your lips start to wake up. Your tongue, you can roll an R. I had to learn how to do this. It took me months because I couldn't do it as a child. So you just go, and that's like champagne for the tongue. It really wakens your tongue up. You can also go, la, 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 very pronounced la's, and your tongue is really doing press ups and getting ready for whatever you're about to talk about. And then the biggest one and the most important one for me. And if I can only do one, this is the one I will do in a toilet. I don't care if people think I'm mad. It's called (laughs) the siren. You have two sounds. You go we and oh, and the we, you go as high as you possibly can. And the or you go as low as you possibly can. So it's like a massive sine wave going high and then low. So it goes like that. And you can immediately spot, if you've got any discontinuities, if there's a break there, you can keep at it until your voice really is smooth, high and low. And that really is like, it's like stretching your voice's limits. And then you will find when you start speaking again, that your voice is deeper, more resonant, more powerful than it ever was before.
0: Wow. How many restaurants have you been kicked out of for doing that in the in the bathroom? Uh, yes, I don't do it in too many restaurants. Mind you, I okay. think
1: with if I were in New York, for example, in a modern New York restaurant, nobody would notice me doing that because that's it's true. quite often 95 decibels in there and nobody can hear anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, touche. That's a fair assessment. Excellent. Well, is there anything that you want to leave us with that might be even the, the most important thing to keep in mind or a few of the key things to keep in mind?
1: In terms of listening, it's really key to remember that listening is the doorway to understanding. If you want to have a great relationship with somebody based on understanding, it is essential to listen. And uh, Hemingway said, I like to listen. Most people never listen. Uh, If you're somebody who listens, it gives you a huge advantage in all walks of life. You know, Great salespeople are people who listen. Persuaders and influencers and leaders are people who listen. They don't just talk, they need to listen too. So I think it's a a massive forgotten skill uh, in terms of speaking, uh, just getting into that vocal toolbox. I mean, take a look at the Ted talk. There's uh, in my courses on Udemy, which go into this in a lot more detail. Um, these are good places to start to play with the vocal toolbox to understand what undermines the power in our speaking. I like to say there are four really powerful spiritual values, if you like to come from to make yourself into a great speaker. And they spell the word hail honesty, So that is in terms of just uh, saying what you mean, meaning what you say, being straight and clear. Uh, Authenticity is the A, being yourself. Uh, I don't go on stage and pretend to be other people. I'm not an actor. Uh, And it's really important not to do that, to be there just for the audience and to be yourself in what you do. And then the I is integrity. That is doing what you say. You know, if you say it, you do it. You walk the walk uh, as well as talking the talk. And the L some people may be surprised to learn stands for love i'm not talking about romantic love here guys i'm talking about just well-wishing because unbridled honesty isn't necessarily the best policy morning darling you look terrible this morning that's not going to go down too well so sometimes love will temper the honesty and it's also really really powerful to come from a place of well-wishing i think it's actually impossible to judge somebody at the same time as wishing them well, just thinking, bless you, or I wish you well. It's a great practice, you know, to walk around a city, just looking people in the eye and going, I wish you well, or bless you, whatever word form of words you like. It means you don't avoid people's eyes. You're not thinking you fat idiot, or you're slow. Okay. You're in my way, or oh, you're ugly, or, you know, all the stuff that we can fall into when we're walking around or lusting after people, you know, and then if somebody meets our eye, we look away immediately because we were thinking stuff we're ashamed of. Ah, Whereas,
0: interesting point.
1: Yeah, if you're walking around just thinking, "Bless you, or I wish you well," it's amazing you can look everybody in the eye and you even smile at them. That's a shocking truth, but it is a truth. And they sometimes smile back, and the world seems like a, a rather brighter place. It's a very good practice to be in, and uh, that's the kind of love I'm talking about. So, hail honesty, authenticity, integrity and love you speak from there and you'll be somebody that people want to listen to
0: thank you so much julian treasure and we're going to of course link to your website juliantreasure.com in the show notes as well as your udemy courses and uh, possibly we can even find that video of morgan freeman talking with is it jimmy kimmel sucking helium have you seen this i i i've seen it years ago yes yes very yeah. funny it is uh it's kind of a classic opposite w- or what not to do and And there's a lot of useful content here. Thank you so much.
1: My real pleasure, Jordan. Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that one. Interesting, sort of darted into speaking as well as listening. I think it is important to listen really well. And I found one of the hardest skills for me to develop as a host that I'm still working on is my active listening skill. And I mean, it really does make for more interesting conversations. And of course, as Dale Carnegie said, the best way to be interesting to other people is to be more interested in them and active listening and conscious listening plays an important part in that. And I found some of the science behind how sound affects us really fascinating. So I hope you enjoyed this one as well as I enjoyed recording it and I will see you guys next time. Special thanks to you guys for listening, show feedback and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know, Jordan H at theartofcharm.com, and of course, boot camp details there as well. Go ahead and email or call me. Honestly, that's the best way to get in touch, and I'll give you everything you need to know about our programs here in LA. If you guys are listening, but you're not subscribed to iTunes or Stitcher, go ahead and make the change there, because getting your shows delivered free to your phone or computer while you sleep is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. Just go to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, and search for The Art of Charm. That's it. And if you guys want to write us a nice review, we'll love you forever there as well because it helps other people find us and it's really important to keep our show ranks up. So tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week. Go out there and get social and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.